I was 18 years old, a freshman at Wayland Baptist University in Plainview, Texas. I went to be a ministry student there. And it was in that, that year, 1995, I heard that there was a revival coming through town. Now, when you, if you've ever been in the South and someone says there's a revival, there's a couple different kinds of revivals. There's one that means they're going to have a lot of church, a lot of nights, and a tent. It's going to be really hot outside. There's another one. This, this one was a different one. I never, never experienced either one, but this one was a revival. They said when this comes through, a, a spiritual awakening happens. And that's what revival is. It's, it's spiritual awakening. It was called the Asbury Seminary Revival. And it was an event. It wasn't like the, this big tent they were going to come through, and I was, I was going to go check it out. I was a freshman, sat in the very back as far as I could, university students and professors, and this man got up, and he didn't act like a preacher. He didn't, he didn't pound the pulpit, not even one time. He got up there in the microphone, and that's all he had. No music, no band, just a microphone, and he said, listen, um, our entire seminary is praying for you. Right now, our seminary is in prayer that revival and a spiritual awakening would, would, would break out in this room at this university. And with that, I'm going to step away and see what God does. And he walked off stage. Could you imagine if I did that? Some of you would be like, man, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. Got, got done a little bit early. But that was the first. He walked off stage, and we sat there in, in stunned silence. We're all waiting for, okay, who really knows what's going to happen? Where's the next seminary student? What, 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 who, somebody here knows what's next. Someone do something. And the silence drug on. And it drug on. And I sat there in the back row just thinking, what in the world's going to happen? Like, how long are we going to sit here before we just start going home? Or something like, what's going to happen? You could just feel this room, this silence, this tension and in the silence, I began to hear something in my spirit, in my heart. As clear as God has ever spoken to me up until that point, I heard right there, 18 years old, in the back row, stand up, walk to the front, and speak. I'm sorry. You must have me confused with the person next to me. Ask him. Like... I mean, literally, I'm just sitting there. It was so clear. I went, shocked me. Stand up, walk to the front, and speak. What, what would I say? What would I even say? I will tell you what to say when you get there. What? The room continues in silence. And I mean, I don't know how long, but in my heart, I mean, you know how this just drags on. It's been five plus, it's been so long at this point. My heart is beating. Everyone else is, I assume, just sitting there dealing with the awkward silence. I'm dealing with the noise, the voice in my, in my heart. I, they're, they're dealing with the awkwardness. I'm freaking out. Stand up. Stand up, my son. I am with you. I don't know how God works. I don't know if I was the first person or only person he asked, or if in those previous five minutes he'd gone around and got to the back row. I have no idea. I do know this. I wanted, to, I wanted to live a lifestyle that of hearing from God. And then when I heard from him to, to, to say yes, I wanted to live a yes lifestyle. And I would have sat there, here's the deal, I could have sat there and do no, done nothing. And I gotta tell you, that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to do nothing. 
And if I had done nothing, God's purposes would still have been accomplished. I'm sure someone else would have stood up or I don't know, perhaps would, nothing would happen, would have gone home. I have no idea. But I remember that moment when I was 18, I felt the thrill of God speaking clearly. I knew that this was not me. <laughs> and then I felt the immediate nausea at the awareness that I, had to, I was going to say yes to this, or if I was. Like the thrill of God, oh, and the, oh, no. Can you ask me to do anything else? Anything else? Even then, I didn't want to be like just everybody else. I wanted to hear God and do what he said. And if he means I had to stand up and walk in front of an auditorium without a clue of what, he, what I was going to say, then so be it. And I was sitting there thinking, the worst that happens is that as an 18-year-old freshman, I embarrass myself publicly at a university level. Now, I didn't know at that point I was going to get kicked out a year later, but we'll leave that story for another time. <laughs> but at worst, what was going to happen was I was going to be humiliated, but at best, Maybe God was going to do something. And so, sitting there, heart uh, uh, just maxed out, 18-year-old freshman me stood up, casual as I could. I can't believe I'm standing. What am I doing? My frat brothers looked up at me. What is he doing? And then I started walking down my row. Excuse me. Excuse me. And I got to the end of the row. Now, at the end of the row, this is the last exit. I can go right and go, I was just having to go to the bathroom. <laughs> or I can go left and walk down the side of this auditorium where the whole crowd would turn to look at me. I took a left, started walking down the aisle. Why am I walking down the aisle? What am I doing? Sit back down. I, I, I mean, honestly, it was the longest, quietest, most excruciating walk I've ever taken. Imagine in a quiet, still auditorium, just one person walking down the side, there's tension in the room, and as soon as that person enters your vision, and so it just, it was this heads snapping as I'm walking forward, everyone watching me, everyone, and by the time I get to the stage, I, but by the way, I had not done stages before that. I wasn't used to a stage. I hadn't been on stage. I walk up on stage, and I walk <laughs> over to the microphone. I walk over to the microphone, and I'll never forget. I'm just looking down. Oh, Lord. And I look up and I just see an auditorium of university students and that microphone in front of me. And I have no idea what to do. All I know is that he, I had no idea what to say. All I know is I had to go say something. I stepped forward, opened my mouth and started to speak. And in that moment, I knew exactly what to say. And I spoke for a few moments and what happened next can only be experienced. It can't be described. And the amazing thing that happened was in the first service, um, Teresa from France, she experienced the same thing in the same year, the same kind of revival. And she was like, I was at one of those two from the, I mean, like it only be experienced what God, what God does. As I, as I got back down off stage after speaking, the, the spirit began to land in such a way that was so emotionally authentic. There was no conjuring of emotion that was so physically almost heavy. I was undone. I began to cry. And not like I'm trying to be, I, I couldn't help it. God's spirit was landing on me. And then this, this spiritual awakening began to happen in this room, the likes I have never felt. The likes that you, you cannot conjure up, that you can't manufacture. I've never felt God's presence like that at that time. And hours later, I went back to my room and I was trying to figure out what was going on, but I knew one thing. I knew I was changed. Not just by being there in the experience, 
but I was changed because of what happened between my father and I. And I'm still changed to this day. I don't know if I would be here if it wasn't for moments like that. This microphone I wear now is easy compared to that microphone. And I'm so grateful, God, that he took a risk on me. And I'm so grateful that me as an 18-year-old said yes because my faith grew in that day and I learned something. Because what if I had said no? I'm guessing, again, that something else would have happened, somebody else, or who knows. But I know this, if I had said no, I would have missed out on what is a life-changing experience. I would be different. I learned that night that there are times where God speaks clearly through prompts or through words or through feeling, that God speaks clearly. And that I know that there are times where God asks specifically. I learned that God, I learned something very important personally in that moment. I read it in the Bible, but I learned something very important uh, personally God's looking for people to partner with. God's looking for men and for women who are willing to say yes. And that's still true today. He is looking for people who he can whisper to their heart or prompt them or show them somebody in need and in that moment, he can partner with them to say yes. He's looking for people who will will stare that risk in the face and step out in faith to, to speak what others will not, to, to give how others won't, to, to, to go places where others refuse. God is looking for people to partner with. He's always been looking for people to partner with. And today in Genesis 12, we're gonna see an amazing moment as, as God changes the narrative of humanity. And people say this is oftentimes where the Bible changes its voice in some ways because we're gonna see, Jesus, we're gonna see God looking to partner with somebody who will do one thing say yes. That's what he's looking for. So we're going to Genesis 12, the call of Abram. Before we get there, I just want to say that Abram, uh, he would later have his name changed to Abraham. And he's one of the the, the figures, the greatest names, the greatest figures in the entire Bible. And we're about to see that what happens here in Genesis echoes through history. That what happens with Abraham echoes through cultures and religions into Jesus' world and into this room or wherever you're listening today. Abraham is mentioned over 230 times in the Bible. He looms large. We first find him mentioned not in his call of Genesis 12, but just previous in in a genealogy I want to get in Genesis 11. It says this at the very end of Genesis 11. Terah was the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran, the father of Lot. Meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, but Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. So we learn he's one of three sons. His father's name is Terah. He, he marries, he marries uh, Sarai, who's barren. It goes on in Genesis eleven thirty one. One day Terah, his father, took his son Abram and his daughter-in-law Sarai and their grandson Lot and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans where the civilizations were, were, were starting. He headed for the land of Canaan but stopped short at Haran and settled there. Now, one thing that before we even get to his calling, we have to go to a little bit of context because life back in this time was tribal. It was patriarchal. And before, like, you know, the word patriarchy has been, in our, in our culture, been, been taken and, and for other things. But here in the ancient culture, culture the patriarchal system, patriarch comes from the word father. And he, the father would be the one in Abraham's time, the father of the family who would protect and who would provide, and who would lovingly treat those under his care. Terah was the patriarch of their family. And what that means was everybody under his tents, everybody under his care got his protection and his provision from other, other clans or tribes or families. And, and at the, as the eldest son at this time, Abram, 
His life would be spent doing all he could to build up his family's value, to build up his father's vision, their fame, their wealth, their lands, to to grow with his household. He would put all his efforts into that. The household of the patriarch would be the family, the servants, the livestock, the flocks, the titles, the soldiers. Anyone under his care and provision were part of the household. And someday, Abram, as the oldest, he would lead this family. Now, nowadays, when their son or daughter turns 18 and they're ready to leave the household, do they look forward to sticking around and helping father build their dreams and mother build their dreams? No, they want to get out. They want to go make a life of their own. But that was not part of this culture in the slightest. You see, a son or daughter in Abraham's time living at home wouldn't be somebody living in mom's basement, you know? No, there's still, the, no, 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 that's the, it was completely appropriate for very practical reasons because life was tribal. And in the patriarch, the larger you grew your tribe, the stronger you were as a people. So that when other tribes would come and try to take everything they could from you, your family, your household could withstand. But to strike out on your own would leave you practically defenseless if you decided to leave the household You would leave the larger established defenses and household and go what? Just start your little mini version? Completely vulnerable. To leave the household of your father's tents means giving up security of sleeping at night, the security of your flocks being watched in herds, and the comfort of your relatives and family. Now, we believe in a Western mind that a son or daughter should go out and make a name, a life for themselves, and grow apart from their family, but that would have been a total disaster in those days for many reasons. Children would not leave to go prove themselves. They would stay and prove themselves by building and expanding stronger, larger, and greater within the family. Terah, the patriarch, moves his family. And of course, Abram goes with him. We find nuggets throughout the Bible that give us more insight into Abram's childhood and to maybe who he was. And in Joshua 24, 2, we find this. Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago our ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and they worshiped other gods. Terah was an idol worshiper. And oftentimes as the patriarch worshiped, so did the clan and the tribe. They would follow suit. Abraham was raised in this family, led by his father, and these idols were a part of their tribe and culture, perhaps. It could be that, probably, that Abraham didn't grow up worshiping Yahweh, the God he would soon meet, which is interesting. We also learn here that Abraham's wife, Sarai, is barren. Now, I can't begin to communicate how devastating this would have been to Sarai and Abram in that time, because barrenness or inability to have children in this day and time, is so emotionally devastating. Back in Sarai's day, children were the way that the tribe grew stronger. Being barren was a death sentence to your line, to your name. Abram would have no sons to add to the workforce and the the strength of the tribe. He would have no daughters to marry marry off and to to, to expand the tribe numerically. He, he He would someday be patriarch of the family. He would lead this family, and then on his deathbed, he would hand it off to a nephew, most likely. This is a culture, we've already seen two genealogies. This is a culture that keeps meticulous genealogies. And if you are barren and have no children, in the genealogy, your name is listed, and then it stops. That's it. Abraham and Sarai aren't young when it comes to Genesis 12. 
So I want you to begin to see not only context of their culture, but the context of their emotion, what they're living in. He's already in his 70s. She's already well beyond childbearing years, and she's barren, which means they've probably accepted the life that they've been living. They're a part of Tara's household. They work, and they, they work to strengthen the family. But their line will die with them, and their leadership will pass on to a nephew. This is life for Sarai and Abram. So they move with Terah and they settle down which, to a place which will likely be their final move before they die. It's in this context we move and turn the page to Genesis 12, where most scholars say the Bible narrative takes a turn. Abraham has an encounter with God. Now, not, not one of the wooden idols that might be in his father's tent or anything like that. He meets the creator God. And there's something different about this creator God. He speaks. He speaks personally. 12.1. The Lord said to Abram, leave your land, your relatives, and your father's house and go to the land I will show you. Leave three things. Leave your lands, leave your family, leave your father's house. 18-year-olds in America read this and go, sign me up. Uh, gee, God, I'm, I'm on your plan. I'm leaving. But remember, different culture, different mindset. Leave your lands? Leave your lands for what? For what other lands? Are you going to go conquer somebody with your little tribe now, Abram? Are you going to go find some, some barren place where the, no one is? Like, like, for what lands? Leave your family. Who leaves their family? He's the eldest. He has a role to play here. He and Sarai are needed and necessary. Leave your father's house. Leave the security of the, of the household against attackers. Leave, leave the security of workers and gatherers and hunters. Shrink your father's for, workforce. And here's the other thing. Leave the security of your future inheritance. His father's household, Terah's household, would someday be passed to Abram. He's giving up his inheritance, all the wealth, all the security, all the protection, all the provision. He's giving up a certain future for a completely unknown future if he does this. He can die, he can retire here. I know what to do. I'm gonna build, 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 hand it off to my nephew. A certain future inheritance, I'm giving it all up for what? Completely unknown. If he leaves, he gives up an inheritance and he takes only what he has with him. If you hear this call and you're Abram, you're leaving much more than just a house, a home. You're leaving your entire life, you're leaving your culture, and you're leaving your future behind, your inheritance. You're stepping out of the comfort zone of knowing what's going to happen with your life, and you're stepping out where there's nothing but risk ahead. And wherever there's risk, faith is required. The Lord said to Abram, leave your land, your relatives, your father's house, and go to the land I will show you. Go where? 10 miles to the east? GPS coordinates? No, no, no. The land I'll show you. You'll know when you get there. Just start walking. I mean, this is like when God asked me to go up there in front of people and just begin talking. Say what? I'll tell you when you get there. He tells Abraham, listen, this is not a comforting promise sometimes because in our humanity, there's something we really love. As humans, we love this word certainty. And we think there's a lot more of it in our life than there actually is. And we think we control a lot more of it in our life than we do, but we love certainty. And where there is certainty, oh, there's a comfort zone. We love certainty. It allows us a safe place. Where there's uncertainty, there is immediately risk. And where there is risk, 
Faith is required. Abraham, you and Sarai, you leave everything comfortable and you will have nothing but risk and uncertainty ahead of you. You'll have nothing ahead of you except for God's promises. Now, this is a huge leap. And so we see in verse two, if Abraham does all this, if he leaves in faith, guess what God will do? I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And I will, you'll be a blessing to others. Look at these benefits. I'll make you a great nation. Not just a great tribe or a great family or clan. It was so much strength, so much wealth that you're gonna be a nation, Abram. And guess what a nation needs? A nation comes loaded with some promises. A nation needs land and, and requires some descendants. It requires people. And we see later, God specifically says, I'm gonna give you land and I'm gonna give your, son, your, your wife a son. And you'll have in, immeasurable, innumerable descendants. And Abram, you know, land and, and a son? I'm 75. And, and my dear, beautiful wife, she's beyond childbearing years, but she's always been barren. God says, I'll make your name great. Now, if you've been paying attention in our walk through Genesis, if you remember back to Babel, what was one thing they wanted at Babel? To make a great name for themselves. They had this desire. They said, let's make a great name for ourselves, so that we won't be scattered. And God, he says, Abraham, I want you to scatter and I will make your name great. The very opposite. God is offering to Abram what Babel refused to do. He's offering him, go and I will make your name great. He said that to Babel and they said, no, we'll make a great name of our own. Abraham, and what about his name being made great? If he says yes, which he does, spoiler. So I'm gonna make your name great. Let me tell you, how great is his name? Abraham is, is, is a great father in the faith of three major religions. His name is known worldwide. God says, I'll make your name great, and he is known throughout time and history and culture. I'll make you into a great nation. He says this, I'll bless those, I'll bless you and make your name great, and you'll be a blessing to others. If you will risk in faith, if you will step out, then it comes loaded with blessing. And Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to others. And then this next verse, it says, I will bless those who bless, bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed by you. Now, can you imagine God saying, I have your back in this way? I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. But this third one, this third one is just so huge and vast. I'm going to bless all families through you, Abram. Abram, if you leave your land, if you leave your family, if you leave the security of your household, everything you hold dear, I'm gonna bless you. Not just bless you with lands and children. I'm gonna bless you so much that all families on earth will be blessed. This promise was vast, encompassing. And how is this possible? To see how this is even possible in Genesis 12, we have to go back to the gospel in Genesis 3. Those of you who've been with us. In Genesis 3, we have a perfect world. God established perfect order. He placed people in there, his image bearers, and they chose sin. They chose sin, and because they chose sin, there were some consequences. And here's the consequences. There was a curse put on the land. And there was now pain and difficulty in childbearing, which Sarai was dealing with. And because of sin, God says the children of Eve, that's humanity, and the evil one will be at war with each other. But someday, a son would come, and even though the evil one will wound him, that son will crush the evil one. A curse on the land, 
difficulty in childbearing, and the coming of the Savior. Those three elements correlate directly with what God is telling Abram, I'm going to give you right here. Curse on the land, Abram, I'm going to give you land. I'm not going to give you land. It's going to be easy for you. It's going to be a blessing. Wait, wait, difficulty in childbearing? Barren? Abram, Sarah's going to have a son. And you're going to have innumerable descendants. And the one foretold that will crush the enemy and free his people, Abraham, from your line, that person will come. I will bless all people. Because the one foretold in Genesis 3, Abram, he's going to come from your line and lineage. And his life and death and resurrection will bless all people. God is offering Abram three blessings that are three direct counters to the curses in Genesis 3. God's saying this, sin entered the earth and disrupted the divine order that I established humanity to live in. But Abram, if you step out and live by faith and follow me, the blessings of that divine order I will establish within you and work through you. Even though the world has fallen. If you live by faith and follow me, the blessings of my divine order will work in you and through you. Which is awesome news for Abraham. But, but here's the question. What does it have to do with me? I'm glad you asked. Galatians 3. You remember Abraham's all throughout the Bible. And in Galatians 3, verse 7, 8, we find this, this place in the New Testament says this. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago. All nations will be blessed through you. That's the promise. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. All who put their faith in Jesus share the same blessing Abraham received because of their faith. Now, God is promising you this blessing of righteousness, of salvation. But, but there's more. You're brought into this family of faith to receive a blessing from God. Previously, before Jesus, Abraham's line, they were the blessed ones. But when Jesus came, fulfilling so many things, all people are now blessed. All people, any people who would receive Jesus. And suddenly, salvation isn't just for some, it's for all. Galatians 3 continues to talk about this. It says that no matter your race, position, place, and life, for you are all children of God through your faith in Christ Jesus. For all who've been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes, this righteousness, this goodness. There's no longer Jew or non-Jew, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Jesus. And now that you belong to Jesus, you are true children of Abraham. Catch this last one. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So when we go back and read the promises of Abraham, read them a little more personally, okay? What is it God wants to do in your life and through your life? Now that you belong to Christ, you're a true child of Abraham, and you are an heir there's an inheritance. God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And this is where I want to zero in on one thing that God promised Abraham. I'm going to bless you in all these ways. And Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to others. This is where we need to step into this. Orchard, this is our part. Orchard, we are blessed in the line and lineage of Abraham in Jesus. We are blessed with salvation in Jesus, those who have stepped out in faith for him. We're blessed with spiritual blessings in ways we cannot fathom. And listen, we are blessed with practical blessings in ways we won't fully see until we get to heaven. 
and you'll look back and go, oh my, your blessing was with me. Your provision, your protection was with me. You are making ways I never even knew about. We are blessed. But why are we blessed? God told Abraham, so that you can bless others. Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Genesis 3. A savior would come. Jesus fulfills the promise in Abraham in Genesis 12 that all would be blessed. And we get to step into this as Jesus our savior. As Jesus fulfills the prophecy and the promise in our life if you say yes to him. All that Abraham was given in some way, spiritually and practically, works its way into the life of a believer. And then, guess what it's supposed to do? Work its way through the believer into the life of others. Abram said yes to God. He risked everything he could. He stepped out in faith, out of his comfort zone for the call of God. And so here's the question. What about you today? Very practical question. When was the last time you stepped out in faith? Whatever that would look like for you. Not faith. I mean, when was the last time you stepped out in faith for God? When was the last time God maybe prompted you to go, to go talk to somebody? Maybe to go, to go give to something. Maybe to pray for somebody. Maybe to invite someone. When was the last time you stepped out of your comfort zone? And when you step out of your comfort zone, there's risk and faith is required. When was the last time you maybe had that feeling in your stomach of, oh, oh, I do not want to do this. Maybe you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus. And that's fine. You're welcome to continue coming here and to hear about him. Because our hope is that you, in hearing, come close to him. And perhaps have you ever felt the call to step out and risk in faith beyond your well-constructed spirituality to know that Jesus is calling you? Wherever there's risk, faith is required. That makes us uncomfortable. That makes us want to stay in our comfortable chairs and our comfortable faith and our comfortable church. But Jesus did not die and resurrect to launch a religion of comfort zone churchianity. And we need to reject that wholesale as the orchard. We are not here for a comfort zone churchianity lifestyle. When you say yes to God, you step into a divine lineage and flow that goes back through time to the great uh, Abram and, and Moses and Deborah and Esther and Peter and Jesus. You step into this lineage of people saying yes and God immediately moving in them and moving through them to bring spiritual awakening to the world around them. There is a region around us. And if you're joining us somewhere else, there is a region around you. Wherever you would go back to, there are people and regions around you that God wants to bless you to speak forward so you step out and risk, invite, speak, and so that things happen that only he can do. And I speak from experience of seeing God do things that I cannot conjure up. God is looking for men and women who are willing to walk upon the fiery path of life, of saying yes, who, who tread where others will dare not, and who will speak what others will not, and see God's blessing flow through them where others dream not, because they just did that one thing, yes, yes, I will, I will leave my comfort zone of faith in risk.
Abraham, he did this. Hebrews 11, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed God and called him to leave, who called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. The risk is yours. The results are his. All we have to do is say yes. He handles the results. He handled the results for Abram. I'll tell you when you're there. I'll provide it for you. You provide the risk. You step into the risk. I'll handle the results. We just want the results like clarified, like it's a deal. And for so many of us, we are waiting for, for, um, for a miracle. We're waiting, if only you will do this, then I, will, then I will obey, then I will do this. But let's back that up and re- reverse it. What if God's saying, I'm waiting for you to obey here. What you want most is on the other side of your yes. You step into the risk and you leave the results to him. That risky relationship, that risky uh, conversation, that risky invite, that risky gift, whatever, you're, whatever it is where God's asking you to go do something out there, leave the results to him. Where do you need to step out in faith today, Orchard? When I was 18, it was a microphone, but today it looks much different in my life. What does it look like in your life? For some of you, it goes back to something he asked you to do a long time ago, and you said no. It's a baptism, which, what do you know? Today just happens to be baptism day on the lawn, and anybody can get baptized. Some of you can step out in faith today. Perhaps it's inviting somebody, opening yourself or your home up, stepping out in a practical way. Whatever it would be for you, Orchard, let's be the people who, who, who are willing to say yes. We take nothing with us. We do not hoard. We give our lives to see what God would do. Amen? Father God, I come before you. I thank you for Abram and Sarai and their faith. And I pray that you begin to raise up people. Raise up people in the orchard who would say yes to the small and to the big. Step out and risk. And now, Father, as we take communion, will you hear our worship?